Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, December the 28th. 2022 the year's coming to an end and as it comes to an end in this final month the subject that everyone is talking about particularly in silicon valley is chat gpt uh, an ai uh, application that allows us or seems to allow us to have intelligent conversations coherent conversations with computers Hysteria in the media about this, New York Times, like so many other publications, uh, running pieces about whether this will allow fourth graders to cheat and whether we'll be able to distinguish between stuff written by humans and by computers. We've already done a series of shows about this one with my friend Keith Tier, a uh, distinguished Silicon Valley entrepreneur, whether on the brink of a new AI age, others with entrepreneurs like Joshua Browder, the CEO and founder of Chat uh, of Do Not Pay, about how we're going to all represent the end of human lawyers. One person who's given a great deal of thought to this was on the show uh, in late November last month. Uh, we talked to Gary Marcus about why smart machines will probably never replicate the human act of writing, but a month is a long time in the history of technology, particularly when it comes to AI. And over the last month, we've had chat GDP. So I thought it was a great opportunity to have Gary back on the show. Gary's joining us from Montreal. Gary, welcome. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. And thanks for having me back. So Gary, did this all take you by surprise? You meaning, you know, serious AI people who are part of the community. Were you as surprised by this as everyone else? No, not really. I mean, the, there's been a steady increase in these systems. They have a systematic set of problems and nothing's really changed there. Um, what's changed is that a lot of people were talking about them. And in fact, there's this amazing contrast. If you just look at the last six weeks in technology history, between Galactica, which really under the hood is a lot like ChatGPT and ChatGPT. So Galactica, they put it out and three days later, they took it down and it's almost the same tech. So ChatGPT, I mean, sorry, Galactica made up things like, um, uh, is it okay to eat, uh, etched, sorry, um, give it, tell me some benefits of eating crushed glass. And it would write a whole essay with made up references, made up experiments, made up data. And ChatGPT can do the same thing. The only difference is there are these guardrails on top. And the guardrails themselves are kind of a mixed blessing. So it, <coughs> I said to it, um, what gender will the first US president be? And it gave me this long song and dance about how it couldn't answer the question, when in fact, the easy answer is it's female. So then I, I said, well, what would the, the gender of, or sorry, the, the religion of the first Jewish president of the United States be? And it gave me a long song and dance about how we don't discriminate on the basis of religion yeah. and couldn't answer the question. So there are these guardrails, and sometimes they're good. So part of the reason that Galactica was rejected in a way by the scientific community is because it made a lot of misinformation and bullshit freely. <coughs> and ChatGPT doesn't do it as freely. So, but so they Gary, just remind us, not everyone knows what Galactica is. Just remind us of so, what so it is. So Galactica was released by Meta AI, and it was a similar chatbot with similar yeah. underlying technology. It was focused entirely around science in terms of what it was trained on. And 
um, the idea was to help you write scientific articles, but it also would hallucinate a lot. And that's really the problem with chat GPT. Like people are super excited. Maybe it'll replace search engines. It'll, you know, clean my dishes and do my laundry and they get super excited. Um, but the reality is that the single biggest problem with these systems is they hallucinate They make up stuff. So you say, write a biography of Gary Marcus, and maybe um, it will say that I went to Harvard as an undergraduate um, or Harvard, let's say Harvard as a grad student when I actually went to MIT. It's not a big difference, but it may, it just makes up the details. It's just, I know just there certain... math, Gary. There's not that much difference, right? Um, I mean, well, it's math. A... No, I'm joking. I mean, I, yeah, maybe I should uh... give you a, a better example than that. But it will, it will everything that we'll say will sound authoritative, and some of it will be true, and some of it won't. Um, but isn't you... the point of, of this uh, that it may be... You know, 50, 60, 70% true now, but it's only going to get better. It's not going to get a lot better. Looking at it? I, I mean, I think that's the optimistic but wrong way to look at it. So um, I think that there's an inherent problem in how these systems are organized. You have to remember, <clears throat> really what they do is autocomplete. They don't assemble a model of the world the way that a robot might assemble a model of the world and say, this person is here and I, my goal is this and and so forth and so on. What they do is they predict next words and sentences by having an almost unfathomably large amount of data. Um, GPT-4 is coming, and I've heard people say basically it's absorbing the entire internet. So if you have a large fraction of the internet... Right, you and, just wrote an, an interesting piece about GPT-4, and we'll talk about that. Go on. In, in, indeed. Um, so, <clears throat> but, you know, chat, chat GPT is somewhere between GPT-3 and 4, depending on how you think about it. These systems don't really build representations of the world. They don't understand which things are happening and where and what the relations are. <clears throat> they get the form of things, but they don't get the details right. So, for example, Stack Overflow um, is this website that most computer programmers use from time to time to look things up. And it's humans asking questions and humans giving answers. And because the things that ChatGPT writes looks like their computer program bits of code and so forth, um, people thought it would be fun to start submitting them to Stack Overflow. But the problem is they look authentic, but they're wrong. The system doesn't actually understand programming. Or if it's talking about medicine, it doesn't really understand medicine. And so you get a lot of errors. So um, Stack Overflow is incredibly important to the programming community. Had to put a ban on using these things because it was actually basically an existential risk to the whole company, the whole business model, right? If you go to that site and you don't know what's generated by person, what's generated by machine and what you can trust and what not, there's no reason to go there at all. <clears throat> and we're going to get, I think, in a similar place if we don't find ways to fight these problems where everything you see on social media is going to be suspect. Did a person generate it? Did a chat? Wait, 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 so we're entering Blade Runner world. We're entering a world where we finding out harder and harder to distinguish between machine-generated intelligence and human-generated intelligence. Is that fair? I think that that's true, and it's worrisome because the machines don't really know what they're talking about. They, well, not the humans, this... Gary. You may, but most of us don't. Well, I think, I mean, there is some of that. So humans are not perfect, and we already have problems with, say, misinformation. But let's say you're a bad actor and you want to make um, a whole lot of misinformation about vaccines, for example. Well, now you can, like, press a button and have a thousand stories written, all with made up studies and whatever, but that sound authoritative. Um, and so you can accelerate the production of lies. You know, before, like the Russians would spend a million dollars a month to pay humans. Now they can do a one time buy and they can make as much as they want. 
Like Sounds like Donald like, Trump. Well, it's Donald Trump, but but you know, multiplied by a million. I mean, you know, Trump has to write each of his tweets, and I I think he's very disrespectful, shall we say, of the truth. Um, but imagine, you know, you suddenly have millions of people doing the same thing. That, that's a problem. Does it? Will it make a mockery then of all media? Will it mean that we'll just stop going? I mean, Elon Musk's done a pretty good job already wrecking Twitter. But will it mean that we will just ignore these platforms because their point? It might. Has- it might. I mean, you know, it's interesting that, that the advertisers have mostly pulled out of Twitter. Right. They're they're concerned about the proprietor and, and his remarks. Um, if I were Google, I'd be really worried about this. And I'll give you an example. There's a whole suite or ring of they're probably taken down by now, but there was a whole ring of um, fake websites connected to each other saying that Mayim Bialik, the actress, was selling CBD gummies. And you have yeah. to ask yourself, well, why would anybody do that? And I think the reason is because they wanted to sell ads on the fake sites. It's an interesting thing. You click through, like, why is she selling CBD gummies? She's a famous actor. Why, why does she need to get in this business? Well, the truth is she doesn't. But you go, you click to the website, and then there's an ad for something that seems interesting there. And then you buy something, and then the proprietor of the website makes some money. So um, you could always do this, but now you have this tool where you can make an immense number of self-reinforcing websites, get a lot of clicks, and make a lot of money. I think the term for this is a click farm. So you can now build click farms. Well, that actually threatens Google. We can talk also about whether chat GPT um, threatens Google, which is a question a lot of people. Yeah, and talk about that. Let me just wrap this point first. So if um, you have all of these fake websites and now you do a Google search and you want to know about CBD gummies, you know, because they're self-reinforcing, they fool the search engine optimization thing and you go there and then Google gets blamed if you take some medicine and you get sick or something like that. So it's actually a threat, I think, to Google or any search engine independent of the rest of this. Um, if, if there's a whole lot of fake information going around and, and we're just swamped in, in uh, large language model generated lies. And I think that is the default unless we put some policies in place and maybe start to treat misinformation as actionable. We don't really treat it as actionable in society right now um, in, in the U.S. But if we don't, like the quantity of misinformation is going to be just so immense. So there's uh, the other question that is on the top of everybody's mind is, are all these things themselves a threat to Google because people like how chat GPT works? So there's something right. really cool about it, right? You type in a question, you say, um, you know, how, how much does it, cost to fly from Boston to New York and it gives you an answer and you know in in full sentences in paragraphs and that's really what we've wanted Google to do all along we don't just want a bunch of websites but the problem is that a lot of the information is bogus and so there's a I think an unknown question there and a known question the known thing is like some people are like man Google should buy open AI for 10 billion dollars I don't think so I don't think that there's anything that open AI is doing that either Google or other parts of Microsoft or, um, you know, et cetera, um, couldn't themselves uh, simply replicate. Well, it's also, it's powered on Microsoft Azure, isn't it? Right. So, so Microsoft already has access to it. I don't understand their internal financial deals. They're not public. So Microsoft could already do this, but Amazon could do this or Google could do this. Anybody who knows how to build a large language model, which is basically a public thing right now, can build their own. In fact, Google has Lambda, which is in many ways similar to chat. So, so, chat, so, so open AI doesn't have any 
they don't have any secret sauce. It's not like with Google where they have their algorithm or Coca-Cola, which they keep uh, I don't uh, their, think so. their recipe I mean, in, the, in the safe. There's a, little bit of, there's a little bit of innovation in how ChatGPT does the guardrails, but they don't work that well. There are other ways other people could do that. So no, I don't really think that there's any secret sauce. I think they've been incredibly effective at marketing themselves, but yeah. I don't, I don't see anything that Google can't go home and replicate. So no reason for Google to be for buying. So, but Gary, let me ask you this question on Google. And, and I apologize if it's a dumb question because this stuff is still confusing to lay people like myself. The Google search engine, Google downloaded the internet and their intelligence is derived from what we've already put on the internet. You're saying that chat GPT is based on a natural language logic. Um, are these quite... I wouldn't quite say it that way. Well, it's generative AI, right? It's a... So, so, I mean, there are a couple of differences. So first of all, they're both based on what's out there in the internet. But Google right. builds databases about what's happening. ChatGPT is really just recording the text and just looking for similar things in the text, um, which causes problems. For example, it needs to be updated periodically. So another thing I tried out was something like um, if Elon... If 70% of people voted for Elon Musk to be removed, um, what, what happens next? Um, and the system is like, well, Elon Musk um, isn't the CEO of Twitter. You need board approval, blah, 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 blah. So his trained last year doesn't understand that he now is CEO of Twitter, whereas you know, a Google search is going to be able to tell you who the CEO of Twitter is. So there is a problem in updating the system. Um, there is no logic, really, in a system like ChatGPT. It's just finding similar bits of text. And because there's a lot of things you can talk about, often it does something that you could think of very loosely as analogy. It will form an analogy to something that somebody else has said in some context. Um, but it's not really reasoning. When people have systematically studied the reasoning of these systems, when you control what the input data is and what the test data is, they don't really reason at all. It's just that they have lots of bits of text that they can glom onto. There's a phrase that they're stochastic parrots in a certain sense in which that's true. They're, they're kind of parroting what they've seen before. They don't really reason. They also can't even search the web. So when you ask ChatGPT, who's the CEO of Twitter, it can't just go out to the web. And people are trying to build. Can't you combine the two? Can't you combine these, these, these two types of intelligence? So people are trying. So, for example, um, U.com, I believe, is what it's called. It's another search engine that is trying this perplexity.ai. So far, these systems are pretty easy to fool. Um, so you ask, like, how far is Vancouver from the Canadian border? And it winds up telling you how far Canada is um, from the middle of the United States or things like that. So there, there are lots of subtle details where these systems, at least so far, are problematic. Some of them will get this one, but they'll fail on other questions. They're, they're not very reliable hybrids. I think ultimately that is what we want to do. We want to learn something from how these large language models work. And we want to take some of the techniques in classical AI that Google search is mostly built on and put them together. But I don't think it's like a, a two-week process. It's a two-week process to put up a demo. A lot of people have put up demos like this in the last few months. But to actually get it to work reliably, where you can trust the answers, is a really hard problem. Um, large language models don't have <coughs> internal mechanisms that allow them to naturally interface with things like Wikipedia. And so it, it's a big challenge to make it work well. 
there's a question of like how well it has to work to make people happy. Like Google itself isn't perfect, right? You ask far from it. You... But you you learn the thing with Google is it's like it, it's like Wikipedia. After a while, you can understand to navigate the system. You know what's an ad, what's bogus, what isn't. Uh, mm. You can understand the biases within the system. Uh, is this something that humans are eventually going to be able to figure out? Do you think? I mean, probably. I mean, we're usually pretty good at figuring stuff out. I think the inherent problem in the pure chat GPT thing that people are talking about is that it, everything looks the same. It looks authoritative. And yeah. so you don't, you don't have those cues. Whereas with Google, it gives you 10 hits, <clears throat> plus it gives you some ads. You can tell what the ads are because they're set in a different way, typeset in a different way. And you, you can look at the websites and you're like, yeah, this is legit. This is from you know the New York Times. I buy it. And this is from some rando website. I probably won't believe it. Um, what chat's going to do is to put all that in, in some mix, blending together truth and dishonesty. And you're not really going to know what's what. And, and you, you just put up a picture of, of these chatbots and essays. Um, that's what happens when they write essays, too. Like there was another similar yeah, article. No in the right. That, that there was a similar article been... in the Wall Street Journal yeah. where somebody used it to write an essay comparing Ferris Bueller and some uh, character from, I don't know, Greek mythology or whatever it was. And it just made up a bunch of stuff. Like it had a lot of it, right? But like it didn't know which character really said what. Um, and so like the Wall Street Journal brought it to a teacher and he's like, this is a C essay. Like it's sort of in the ballpark, but it's not getting stuff right. And so like, do you want your search engine results to be like kind of C essays? Well, it's okay for some things, but if you actually want to know, you know, who played this role in this movie, or, you know, can I mix these two medicines together? Like you really want the right answer, especially if it's a medical piece of advice. So I think that the big um, thing people are neglecting is when you run a search engine, you're in some sense liable for the results. You may not be legally liable, but if you have a search engine, people use your stuff and they get sick, for example, that's incredibly bad PR. And so I think it's easy for people to say, wow, startups, they're going to disrupt Google. That's going to be amazing and all that. But Google knows from years and years of experience, it's actually hard to get all this stuff right. And at least overnight, that's not going to happen. We have a new paradigm here that's interesting where you spit back a whole paragraph of text. I think that's great. But to make that work is, is hard work. And, and we don't quite have the technology yet. What's interesting is the more you, you talk about this, the more it suggests that our critical facilities, if anything, are going to become more important. Of course, the classic response yes. to all this is humans are redundant. But actually, everything you're saying, Gary, is that it underlines the importance of education, of thinking critically, of being able to distinguish between propaganda or nonsense and some degree of truth. So if anything, this is good news for liberal education, isn't it? It's fantastic news um, for liberal education in the sense that it really puts a premium on teaching kids to think critically. My favorite way of doing that is there's a curriculum called Philosophy for Kids. Um, I think is you know, one way to do it. You get you know, <clears throat> kindergartners or first graders to talk about questions where they're difficult to answer and where you need to reason and so forth. Um, I, I think it's putting more and more premium on that. Um, that's the kind of upside is like, I'd love to see education be more like that. The downside is if we fail at that, we're going to be in a kind of nihilistic Blade Runner mm -hmm. world in, you know, that's scary. So there's kind of both sides to that. And what I fear is, we see the disappearance of the middle. So what you'll have is a high end, five or 10% of people highly educated, understanding their way around the system, 
probably paying for some sort of intelligence or some sort of tool that will separate the nonsense from the truth. And then the 90% of people who will just gorge on this nonsense and become increasingly well, ignorant. I mean, Is there some truth to that? I, I fear it very much. And a lot of what I'm thinking about doing in the future is, is to try to work on this problem, try to build AI to fight this problem, which requires a new kind of AI. And a reason that I'm very motivated for that is because I think the default that you describe is Orwellian. It is what Orwell described in 1984. And it's a recipe for fascism. And it's Huxley as well. I mean, it's more like Brave yes. New World, where you have a an elite who who understands stuff, who have access to Shakespeare and everyone else who's just living in the dirt. Uh, Gary, how is the, I, I want to talk about your alternative systems, but you were involved in a big debate in, in Montreal um, yeah. uh, on all this. You, 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 you debated uh, Joshua Benjo in uh, 2019 for this. Uh, how is the, um, the AI community responding? Is, are there divisions or are you pretty much all on one page in terms of what this is and isn't? Well, first of all, Vince and I, Vince Boucher and I have been running this series for a few years now. Um, Yashua Bengio was the first. Uh, that was me and Yashua Bengio. Uh, you have this year's cut off slightly, but we had, I think, 18 people this year at AGI. The website is agidebate.com. Um, we had Noam Chomsky, which is uh, pretty amazing. Wow. We had Yejin, Yejin Choi, who was just in the New York Times Sunday Magazine yesterday. Um, you know, we had, she won the MacArthur Fellowship recently. Um, she's in the top row there. Um, we had Jürgen Schmidhuber, one of the founders of, of Deep Learning. Kai-Fu Lee who's probably the most famous AI person in China. So we had an incredible cross-section of people. Debate went almost four hours. Um, we covered five different topics, ranging from very kind of technical stuff all the way through policy choices. Um, and we had some representation of, let's say, the side of the field that thinks that all you need is more data. Most of the people are on the side that, hey, we still have a lot of work left to do. And nobody really thinks that we've solved AI. No, nobody was there. And I don't think any, any legitimate scholar really thinks that we've solved AI yet. I think most of us recognize there are serious problems that have to be solved. I thought in some ways the um, most striking moment of the night was when Kai-Fu Lee, who's historically been very optimistic about AI, um, and he's in, in the bottom center, um, really counseled the same kind of worries that I've been uh, counseling lately about um, worrying about misinformation, about how these tools might target advertisements in ways that are really pretty pernicious. Um, there's all kinds of interesting stuff in the debate, a lot of um, raising questions we don't know how to answer yet. And I think the general mood of it was that, hey, we we were making some progress here, but we don't really have good control of what we've got. And that that's disconcerting. The way I put it was when I ended the previous years, well, two years ago, this debate, I said that um, it takes a village to raise an AI. We have a lot of different perspectives we need represented. A lot of um, that's the one on the right there um, that we need to represent many different perspectives. The way that I, I wrapped up this year is to refer to that and say, you know, last time we met two years ago, AI was sort of like in its infancy and now it's kind of more like a toddler. It's, it's like, mm. I mean, sorry, more like an adolescent, excuse me. It's more like a teenager that is like kind of starting to be powerful, but doesn't really have good judgment yet. So we, we have these powerful AIs now that can do things like write prose <laughs> that sounds like it's human-like, but they're, they're not accountable. And, and so I think everybody on the panel in one way or another saw that problem 
um, and you know have different ways they think we might approach that problem. But we're all a little bit worried now. None of us in the room were worried that, hey, machines are going to be like Skynet and Terminator and they're going to try to kill all the humans. Like we didn't have those kinds of worries. But I think a lot of us had worries about how these things can be misused for things like misinformation, for that matter, plagiarism and so forth. And I think we all have a sense that there's not enough policy and ethical guidelines and, and, and enforcement of anything uh, right now and also not enough know-how. Um, you know, another metaphor I use elsewhere is that these new things are like bulls in a china shop. They're powerful, but they're reckless. And nobody really knows how to, um, to rein that in yet. And so I think the whole field is like, well, what do we do now? I want to get to that, but in, as a historical analogy, Gary, could we think of search engines before Google, Yahoo, for example, the search engines of the mid to late 90s, and then Yahoo, uh, Google came along and changed the history and nature of search? Are we still waiting for the equivalent of Google when it comes to AI? Um, I mean, I guess there, there are different ways to think about it. I would say that we're still waiting for AI that we can trust, but we have AI that we can use and that there's a big difference between the two. So in many of the places where it's now tempting to use them, we shouldn't really trust them. And, and I think there's a kind of human gullibility. We see something work for a few minutes and we're like, yeah, that's like a person. And a great example where that's a terrible idea is, is cars. So it's very easy to make a driverless car demo that sticks to its lane and, and you know, most of the time works fine. But as we now know, as we've seen over the last couple of decades, most of those demos aren't really trustworthy in the real world. You can't just let them rip um, because eventually they will crash into something. So they might, you know, they might be good for 23 hours. But if on the 24th hour they crash into a wall, that's a problem. Um, and it, we're gullible. We think, well, this thing acts like a person. It must be like a person. But in fact, it's working on very different mechanisms than you and me. And it may make mistakes in places where we would not. And so human gullibility is a bit of a problem right now when we're in this separation between AI we can use, we can put it in anything, um, and AI that actually should, um, you know, that has earned our trust. We, we don't really have that yet. We don't really know how to make AI that is reliable. And so it's fine for something like advertisement recommendation. If it works three quarters of the time, makes an error a quarter of the time, that's no problem. But if you have AI in a medical application, in a driving application, um, giving people psychiatric advice, anything where a mistake might be serious, we don't really have the goods yet. We have things that kind of look like they're the thing you want, but they're not really good enough. I love your, your pin tweet uh, on Twitter. Uh, you, you write, let us invent then a new breed of AI systems that mix an awareness of the past with values that represent the future that we aspire to. Our focus should be on figuring out how to build AI that can represent and reason about values rather than simply perpetuating past data. Is this what you're working on, Gary? Is that a, a kind of a revolutionary kind of AI that might I am a much more valuable alternative to the current one. I am acutely interested in that. Um, one piece of that I'm most working on right now is, let's say, the value of honesty, how you get a machine um, to see whether the things that it says or somebody else says are true. Um, there's also values of not harming people, you know, harmlessness, being helpful. Um, and yes, I'm very interested in how to take, let's say, some ideas from classical AI where you can explicitly represent what it is that you care about 
and how, how you tie that in with these large language models, which are like giant black boxes. And it's very hard to put in, hey, I want you to respect this value. So I wouldn't say I have the answer. I have some hints about how to do these things. Um, and I have some people who would like to help me. Um, it's not the most obvious thing for a venture capitalist to work on, but I, you know, I am seeking funding to do these things um, at scale. And I, I think that they're very important and very interesting and, and that the outcome of humanity ultimately depends on somebody solving those problems. We can't, we can't just go on with the kind of AI we have right now that, that's sort of incredibly tempting to use, but does just perpetuate the past, doesn't really understand human values. This, this is not a good, stable way forward. Gary, um, you touched on the need for regulation. That's always a great challenge, particularly in the United States with the speed of technology and the slow pace of, of Washington, D.C. What would you like to see? What kind of conversation do we need to have about the regulation of AI, particularly uh, when it comes to the issue of truth and propaganda, the stuff you've been talking about earlier? So with truth and propaganda, I think one thing that we have to consider that's unpopular um, but may, might be time is, is to think about treating misinformation a little bit like libel. So we have in the U.S. a, a history of saying you can say anything you want, including things that are false, and that's fine. The only things you can't say are like deliberately defamatory and, and, and so forth. Um, I think we have to think of it a little bit like drugs where, you know, if you smoke one loose joint, then that's fine. But if you have a kilo of coke in, in your um, car trunk, maybe that's a different thing. And so I think we have to think if you spread misinformation at high volume, that that should, in fact, be actionable. Um, and we can think about like the consequences we've seen around vaccines where high volume misinformation, we're going to see even higher volume, but high volume misinformation has cost a lot of lives. You can look statistically, the people who have been exposed to a lot of misinformation around COVID have had lower vaccine uptake and, and they've had higher death rates. And so like many lives have been lost because we had no regulation really around misinformation. I think we have to take that seriously. Let's talk about 2023 then, what to expect. You wrote an interesting piece, GPT-4, which is the next version of, mm -hmm. this, um, of this AI system. Uh, you wrote what to expect when you're expecting GPT-4. Um, you have some interesting observations. What should we expect, Gary, next year as, as the momentum speeds and more and more money and intelligence and initiative pours into this uh, sector? So I think we can be almost 100% certain that we will see GPT-4. So three was released in 2020. It's taken a while to build the next one because it requires so much of the data, so many, you know, such a large fraction of the internet. To who, who, be just to be clear, Gary, to jump in here, who, who's building it? Who owns OpenAI? OpenAI has built all of the systems that are called GPT. There are similar systems built, for example, right. by Google. So, so it goes back to, so it could come from Google or Microsoft or someone else too. You know, Op OpenAI is building GPT-4. Like this is known. Right. And I, I know people Perfect. who have seen it. It's, it's a... Um, Kind of an open secret in the Silicon Valley. So it's, also, a, better, it's a better version of GPT-3 coming out of right. OpenAI. Right. And it's better in the sense that it's trained on more data. It makes fewer mistakes. It will sound even more human-like. Um, but the predictions that I make is it's still going to be fundamentally the same thing as we see in GPT-3. So it's still going to be unreliable, not really trustworthy. It's still going to have problems with physical reasoning, with psychological reasoning, with understanding the world. It's still going to hallucinate. It's still going to produce a lot of misinformation. And so 
some people, and the other thing I predicted is at first people will be super excited. OpenAI is very good at handling the media releases of these things, but over time we will see that there are problems with it. That's what happened with chat GPT. Like in the first week, everybody was wild about it. And then over the next several weeks, people are posting lots of things like I tried it with this and it doesn't make sense. I tried it with that. It doesn't make any sense. Um, uh, Farhad Manju uh, had a piece in the times where he's, he quoted me, um, you know, the, the media is starting to see, yeah, these things don't really work as well as, as, as people pretend. They're not really so-called general intelligence. And we will see that narrative arc again of this crazy enthusiasm. that's so much better than GPT. We must have solved artificial general intelligence. Oh my God, everybody's going to lose their job. The world is going to change. And then by like a month or two later, when people have access, they'll be like, yeah, it's really cool, but nobody's really going to lose their job because you can't really count on it. You still need humans in the loop for all of these things. It's still not really up on the daily news. It still doesn't really reason that well. It's just really cool. It's cooler than the last one. I mean, so GPT-3, you know, had that kind of, you know, everybody thought it was amazing and there were op-eds written by it in The Guardian and there was a glowing profile in the New York Times Sunday Magazine and so forth. Uh, that was GPT-3 before chat GPT. And then like over time it faded and it's like, well, what do we actually do with it? So, so far, the only thing that's really big with GPT-3, I think, is a company called Jasper. And most of what they do is to build, is to let you write um, blog posts really quickly to help optimize your search engines uh, ranking. It's what we call SEO optimization. And so like, you know, GPT-3, people fell in love with it, but putting it to practical use is hard because it's not that reliable. GPT-4 will be better, but that problem is still going to be there. At least that's my prediction. Excellent, Gary. That was brilliant.